friends. Welcome to the More to the Story podcast special edition. This is a, a kind of a Monday afternoon, Monday lunch period, and I'm going to bring in here soon my friend Steve Bussey, and we're going to talk through a few issues. Um, a few things are going on in some of the circles where we run, and it has ramifications across the board in many denominations. Of course, one of the things that's been interesting just this past weekend is I've been in touch with many of my friends at the United Methodist Church who are immediate, like in this moment, working through the challenges that their denomination is facing, and there's a lot of things that need to happen in order for churches to not just join the Global Methodist Church, but to first disaffiliate and work through that process. And I, I just want to highlight, I've seen like some really wonderful work from some senior pastors who are, uh, oh, I see Steve, I'm going to bring him here in, in here in a second. Um, so some senior pastors within the United Methodist Church, um, I think of like my friends, uh, Mike Powers, Don Adams, who are just like serving churches, trying to help them get the information they need. I'm going to try and do some more work on that here soon. I'm going to invite Steve in. Um, and then what, what I want to make sure you all know is I went out, I'm going to, going to hopefully take this and make this into a regular podcast and post it on YouTube as well. So that will be something that will, will come around. Steve, I think in order to get you on, I think you have to request to join the conversation. And if that's not working, send me a text and we'll figure out how to make this go. So I thought it might be fun just to have a live conversation. I don't generally edit the podcast anyways, but this is something that we, we can do at times. Let me see. I think maybe I have to do something here. Um, okay. Let's see if I can get Steve in. Okay. Now I have somebody. Oh, wrong Steve. I have Steve Bussy. I'm trying to bring out. I have a Steve... Uh, uh, Burnett, who's wanting to come. Hey, Steve. Both Steves here. Two two Steves online with me. Let me see if I can get... So I think I think Steve Bussy, you have to request and then I can put you on. So I think that's that's how that will work to, to bring, on, bring you on the video. Um, last time I was able to do that. Sometimes it shows up where you're able to do that. Let's see... Still, we'll just keep on going here as we think through this. What, what Steve Bussey and I wanted to respond to were some of the things that have happened as a result of the International Leaders Conference, which is happening in Canada. And that's something that has been helpful um, for us to, to talk through. We did a short one last week, but I had some challenges. I, do, I put like a Facebook... Um, uh, here we go. I got Steve coming on now. Um, I, I, I have Facebook so I, so I can only listen for so long. And um, unfortunately, that zapped me in the middle of our conversation there. So I'm thinking we'll talk here from 20 minutes or so. All right, I got him in live. There he is. Hey, Steve. I realized I have to go in by on my phone rather than the computer. <laughs> oh, right. Okay, that makes sense. You know, it's funny how we have to exist in these various ways. Like we have to be able to, I, I had a, one of my colleagues, Dr. David Schreiner, who is the associate dean here at Western Biblical Seminary, I had to, um, I realized within 20 minutes, we talked on the phone, we texted, we had a Teams message, we had an email, and then we also interacted in another, in a Teams chat. So yeah. all of that was within 20 minutes. So <laughs> that's great. Yeah, we have to be multi-purpose here these days. <laughs> right. Well, those of you who are watching live, thank you for checking us out. We got a few people on live, and I don't anticipate a lot. But those of you, if you do come on live, if you wouldn't mind sharing a link to this, like you just go down the um, and share this, that would help us get the word out. I mean, it, 
but I mean, I, I feel funny saying that stuff every now and then, like asking people to review a podcast or to share a link. But really, that's the way that we're able to increase the traffic to what's happening. And if you agree with the type of things we're saying, or if it's a matter of having a deeper conversation where we get the truth, I think that's a helpful way for us to do that. So I'm not making any money off of this, folks. So it's just a way for us to have healthy conversations. So anyhow, Steve, we started to talk last week, and then there's been some more interactions as we've seen there's been some more activity online and i thought that it'd be just good for us just to have a brief conversation about how encouraged we are with the responses that we've seen from the general to our current cultural moment now those of you who are not in the salvation army world i hope that as you listen to this conversation you'll know that there's ramifications probably for your denomination as well and certainly we're learning from other denominations along the way as we're dealing with this particular moment of Christian orthodoxy. And we're going to get on to that. Rather not, we're going to talk, like the fourth thing I hope to even cover is rather not what we're talking about is dogma. So we're going to talk about a, a few things. The first thing is just going to talk about what we heard from the general and some of the leaders at this international leaders conference. Some of the responses without kind of getting to a place where we're going to like even identify who those responses came from. Third, what we can do, what we should do and encouraging our leaders. And finally, is then is God's gift of human sexuality? Is it Christian dogma or is it just mere opinion? Something that Christians can agree to disagree on. So, Steve, yeah. what is it that happened last week, anyways? So I, I think first of all, um, let, let me just say this. I mean, I, I feel very positive, you know, uh, yeah, along yeah. with what you said as well with what what happened. It just I, I think it's a, it's a watershed moment. I think I believe for us as the Salvation Army. Um, <clears throat> last week, what happened is there was what, uh, the International Conference of Leaders, which takes place. This takes place once every is about three years, I believe, three or four years, um, where they come together for this in-person, you know, live, you know, sort of gathering. Now, now, unfortunately, just because of COVID with visas and stuff like this, there was a, a, a number of leaders who couldn't come. But thankfully, the Salvation Army, three or four years ago, really uh, invested in Office 365, which meant that through teams and stuff like that, even though physically everyone couldn't be there, everyone was either there physically or virtually, and even some of the presenters were presenting virtually as well. So, so there was uh, engagement um, with, with all of the international leaders, which I think was really good. And, and there was some real critical topics that were, were being discussed. And again, we didn't really know much of what that would be until we started receiving the territorial, the international reports that were coming through the international website. And, and we were, I, I don't know about you, Andy, but I was very pleasantly surprised at the agenda items. Yeah, absolutely. It's really interesting to see the agenda items that come through. And those of you, particularly some people in the Salvation Army might not realize this. And I saw some consternation online about people not being able to get there and what that would mean. This is not a decision making body within, mm -hmm. the, within the organization, within the denomination. That's not what this, this is. But yeah. it is a kind of information gathering group that advises the general. But I think what we see coming from these type of meetings represents the heartbeat of what's going on and the direction of leadership. You know, one of the things that's interesting is that within our denomination is it's not a pure democracy in that uh, yes. uh, uh, the international leader is elected in a somewhat democratic process, but then that person serves and has, in a sense, all of the administrative a power <laughs> um, yeah. and so everything and that's been from the beginning Steve like maybe we could just just talk about that for a second because you and I yeah. might disagree a little bit about that but, but this yeah. is of in part the strength 
and uh, it can be a strength and a weakness of the army. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think I think it's an absolute strength, and 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 here's the reason why is is again, you know, we we've talked a little bit about this. I I don't know if we talked about this last time that we did the podcast with you as well, but uh, in again in 1875, the Salvation Army introduced the the Methodist connectional system into the Christian mission. And, and again, Catherine and William Booth had had some severe problems with that, again, because of the way in which their appointments were taking place. Along with that, a lot of the politicking, even that we see happening with the, with the Methodist Church right now, even right, right. with the conferencing system, you know, that, that there was a lot of personalities that were driving some of these issues and, and with that trying to get people to vote in a certain direction, things like that. And so they introduced that to the Christian mission, but it didn't, you know, it, 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 it was hindering the acceleration of the Christian mission. And there was that statement from George Scott Railton and, and Bramwell Booth. <clears throat> I think it was Railton who said, we don't need a general superintendent. We need a general. Right. 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 And with that, there was the question of the structure of the Salvation Army, of having somebody who could both safeguard issues that were critical, particularly doctrine, identity, missional focus, you know, things of this nature that are going to cut through um, unnecessary debate or right. debate that could lead to drift uh, right. from intent right. and to keep people. Uh, but at the same time, that that general would safeguard the innovative process of contextualizing the gospel. So so in 1878, this Christian mission became the Salvation Army with this in mind, that a general would be the ultimate steward of the doctrines, the discipline, the identity, the purpose, the direction of the future of the Salvation Army. Right, and this is a key thing. To understand the polity represents the, the way we understand what the church is, church is made to be, what the church exists for, and that to safeguard it is not then put in the groups of people. Now, that is a very un-American way of thinking about things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it, it probably, it moves against the grain of what happens within many denominations, but this can be, can be a strength in, in, the, in this cultural moment where there are groups that are politically organized in such a way to be able to bring the sexual revolution to bear upon institutions. And we see this happening with corporations, nonprofits, and we even see it happening with the kind of the way the, the Salvation Army of the United States is set up in some ways as a corporation. Like the, the challenge comes from all sorts of interest groups. And then there are interest groups even amongst the soldiery of the Salvation Army internationally saying, well, we should have a voice here. We should be able to say this. And certainly this is a way that the that voices are heard. But the strength for us in this moment is that we are in a position to have an executive, an executor. And that is yep. the general, the one who can say, no, we are, we are brought together with this purpose. And this is how we are going to exist. And this is, this is the authority. Now, if that is not used, that's where we get to have a problem. And I think my critique in general of what's happened in general about generals is that <laughs> they lately have not generally used their generalization power. <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted to keep on doing that. This is what you get yeah. from me at noon. At noon. Generally okay. speaking. Generally speaking. <laughs> uh, so, so I just feel like there's, there's something about existing that way that's not clear. Now, we have clear statements now and even clearer last week as a result of what the general said. But what we need now also is accountability. And absolutely, I think, I mean, don't you think, Steve? And now, strong now, governance, that's I would right. say. 
This yeah. is the moment. Uh, yeah. so, uh, maybe for, for some of our viewers, just to, to emphasize as well, that um, that the general is the commander of the International Salvation Army. Then the Salvation Army geographically is, is divided between territorial commanders, right? right? There are divisional commanders. Well, in the States as well, there's a national commander. Divisional commanders and then commanding officers. Everyone else's role is a secretarial role, which supports that. But that decision making is really sort of on five levels. These were the top two tiers: the general, the commanding general, and all the territorial commanders that came together. And so those people, if they are aligned collectively as territorial commanders with the general, then that in many ways is a key to critically safeguarding our doctrines, discipline, identity, and purpose. If there is division, right, and, 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 and a lack of alignment there, then that's when we begin to actually, we, be, we begin to have like small fiefdoms, which are yeah, sort of sure. federating off and just trying to do their own thing. I think part of this conversation was saying there are some things that are standardized internationally, our internationalism is a strength, but it requires, you know, these are not topics which we're debating and, and a territorial commander is empowered to say, well, I don't believe the doctrines or I don't hold to the ethical position. No, it's like everybody in the 150 plus year history of the Salvation Army, regardless of geographically where you're, where you're located across space and time, we all agree to these. It defines who we are and why we do what we do. There are things, though, which are delegated down to the territorial commander level and things that do need to be adapted. But I think somewhere along the line, some of that's become a little blurred. And I think that the advantage of this gathering was saying there are certain things <laughs> that are not negotiable here. And I think all that's right, good. Right. And, and trying to lay that out and trying to hold people accountable in that place, that's what we're asking people to. And that's what I think we're all longing for is like, if we're going to exist as any group, if you and I were going to come and form a gardening club and we are going to say, we're going to, I don't know, this is all come off the top of my head, Steve, garden grapes, right? But then somebody says, no, no, no. I think we should uh, garden corn. We should like, let's do it. That, that, that should be our idea. No, no, we've already formed what this identity yeah. is. So if we come in and say that that's something different than what we all signed up for, that's where it gets to be problematic. And, and unfortunately, that means that there has to be accountability to ensure it happens. And I think that this was a clear shot. And I, I say yeah. shot, it's a, hey, a Salvation Army word, right? A, a military word, yeah. gospel shots. This is a clear yeah. shot across the bow to say, these are the things that make up this identity and a Christian view of human sexuality that's consistent with Orthodox tradition and biblical interpretation throughout 2000 years of what the church has always believed is consistent with this. And so the Savage Army's Articles of Faith have enough in them to be able to make that clear um, from our doctrinal statements, our understanding of revelation in our first article of faith that we believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testament are given by inspiration of God, and they only constitute the Bible of Christian faith and practice with our understanding of sin, that we are all Absolutely. sinners, afraid that such a just exposed wrath of God, that the universal availability of the gospel is there. And that, and then, of course, even escorts us into a place that the general said with how we engage the whosoever, so that this is something that, of course, and, and anytime we talk about this, like, I was, was talking to my kids about this at the dinner table last night. We don't want to emphasize this subject, but the culture yeah. has brought this type of sin into our yes. world on a regular basis and is being brought in within the life of the church. And so yeah. in order for us to be in this conversation, we have to bring this up on a regular basis. And it's not something that we wanted to do. Nevertheless, yeah. we do want to be 
as welcoming and as supportive as we can to people who are experiencing all sorts of challenges from our sinful world. And that includes the challenges of human sexuality. So all of that I think was laid out pretty well. I think there were, I'll, I'll give my little critique, Stephen. You still work for the Salvation Army, so maybe I'll be the one. It's like, I felt like there's a little bit of difference. Like as you talk about doctrines aren't always clear, but we need to make sure we're offering these things. Um, we need to be sure we're offering love and support to whosoever. And, and I felt like there was, a, there was a contrast that is unnecessary between doctrine and action. But that, that's, yeah. my, that's my little critique. But nevertheless, I'm yeah. thankful for the clarity. Anything else you yeah, want to say yeah. in general? Yeah, I, I think I would say as well, preliminary to this as well, is that um, I, I did a, a look at uh, orders and regulations for soldiers from like the 1890s. Yeah. And, and I think some, there's this almost this false narrative that, that sexual ethics are something new. Right, that the Salvation Army never talked about before. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And as a result, yeah. of this is like if you look at the handbook, orders and regulations for soldiers from the late late nineteenth century. Yeah. we were talking about sexual ethics in that day and age, right? Yeah. So this yeah, is not right. something yeah. new, right? Yeah, there's always been positions on this. And 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 here's the other thing as well: the Salvation Army was, you know, born in the East End of London, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like. That was pretty much, you know, a, a place where you could find any and every form of sin. Now, the people who were getting saved, you know, they weren't just people from like West, the West End of London. They were people getting saved and becoming, you know, soldiers and officers in the subject were from the East End of London. That means, I do believe that there could be people who had same-sex attraction. Oh, yeah. From the earliest days. But again, the the the, the, the narrow road of salvation is through the conditional actions of repentance, obedience, faith, and holiness. Right. And so, and so there have always been individuals who might have different attractions, but they all come under the authority of Scripture and live within the guardrails of, 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 of holy living, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Whether homosexual or heterosexual. This isn't new. What has changed, which you just identified, is that we are living in a, in a day and age where the culture of... of, 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 of really sort of globally is, is beginning to change and so in many ways the way for us to find a way forward isn't to find something basically to say let's throw our identity our purpose our doctrines our disciplines we actually need to go back and say this is who we are this has been a robust theological and ethical position and it's from here that we can express our compassion and things i, I was yes, just gonna amen. Yeah, I, I, Steve, you'll, you'll find this interesting. And I'm doing, I, I'm just in the heat of my research on William Booth's ecclesiology right now. And so I have stacks of the uh, Christian Mission magazine and yes. uh, that I've copied. And I, I, it's probably uh, two feet high. And so it's taken me a long time to go through them, but I'm in 1878 right now. And yes. uh, a great year, a great year in Summer Story's history. But I'm um, spending time there. And I was surprised to see the way that sexuality was addressed in yeah. magazine uh one of, okay um this some people won't like this but it's true I mean, i've started to think there's a great article by railton 1878 called more hell so a bunch of people just dropped off but, but never, so, so nevertheless like what happens is, it's like in, in that article and in these in these talks like there's just a, a clear word of some of the things that were happening in the public houses and what i'm saying is some of this is there's nothing new under the sun. Like, exactly. I think that's an interesting point for us to deliberate. Maybe one more comment about the general. I want to get down to some of these other things too. 
Yeah. And, and so what I, what I think is really great, and this is what I loved about what I saw, is that, uh, again, General Petal was very much the general here. <laughs> you right, know? right, yes. You know, and, and, and he's exercising the authority of his office. Now, I think my concern is that th that, that there does seem to be this narrative of, well, this is his personality, right? And he does not represent the collective conviction of who we are as leaders within the Salvation Army. And that's not true, right? He's, he's speaking, yes, maybe as an individual, but he's speaking from the office of his role as general. And, 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 and I, I think, that office. He was yes, elected exactly. that office. He was elected. Exactly. And, and, and along with that, I would say I, I, one thing which I think I would love to see is a joint statement of territorial commanders that say go. it's not just the general who's standing in this position, but we stand as leaders of the Salvation Army who are stewards uh, of, 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 you know, of this Salvation Army, that we stand together with the general. Because, you know, I, I think that, that, that he's taken a very brave stance and he's taken a lot of heat for that. And I think yeah, that that no. heat needs to be shared across all commander roles. And there was significant heat that came right away. And I would love to get yeah. back more. I love talking about the polity. I love talking about the yeah. organization. Like, I, I could probably geek out on that too much. But it, uh, yeah. because, and, and I'm not, and to be honest with you, Steve, I'm not sure why, where I fall on that. Because I see, I, don't, I certainly don't like what's happened in the Methodist Church. And I think that's in part related to its polity. I like our system because it has the safeguard that the general is the final authority. Um, but at the same time, I just feel like there could be democratic controls put in and there isn't there isn't the voice um more more democratic control so i mean any good leader is going to listen to people who uh represent their organization but i think some things could be institutions but that's my little critique i feel like you want to say something there so I, I think i think there is the general's consultative council you yeah. know as well internationally i do think as well that the 1929 high council as well. I mean, if you look yeah, at that, is. that's where I would say that our system went from a, a more of what I would call a monarchic succession planning approach for sure to a, a definite lean towards, I would say that's a hybrid of the conferencing and, and hierarchical systems, you know, because there is a certain vote and there's a vote that does take place at the high council, right. you know, yeah. and that's for a limited period of time, which that person serves as general. So I do believe that there is a democratic process, you know, as well in which people are able to voice those, you know, the problem is that those leaders aren't democratically elected. And I think that there yes. could be something powerful about there being some say, now, this is where we could, this is why it's important. I think one of the things we want to encourage people to do is go ahead and send a letter to your leader saying, even if it's two sentences, I was so glad to see the general's clarity. Thank you for that. And just know of my support of him and you yes. and implement policies in this. So do that, friends. Do it, do and, it now. Like, and go on to social media. Go on to the Salvation Army's international site and, and let the general know that you, you stand by him. I, I do think that, that there's a strange, and I, I think it's often, I, I would call it the counter-hegemonic strategy yeah. that sort of says that if you show, because I mean, even, even myself, I put stuff out there and immediately I'm questioned, nope. you know, why, uh, you know, am I not compassionate? Am I not this? Am I not that? And what these are, these are stereotypes that seek to sort of caricaturize any person who holds to a stance and it says not just to that person but warns everyone else make sure you don't speak because you too will be isolated out 
Yeah, and so no. most people will sort of say, "Hey, I, do, I don't want to. I don't want to take that type of heat as a result of that. I'm going to just not say anything." Yeah. The problem is that not saying anything creates a vacuum in which a few voices can begin to appear like they're dominant, and it doesn't represent. Right. That's exactly. And fortunately, this is even if you don't feel comfortable with putting something out publicly on social media and who, who knows what that really does certainly does something and people on the other side who don't share the worldview and the orthodoxy that we're describing here are certainly using those channels as well but even an email to your leader and you can email the general probably those are yeah. going to be things that are, are going to have some type of impact and so i think we have to be able to let that be heard what i what i think is interesting steve Okay, this is where it gets a little academic on this side, but I, want, I think it's helpful is that yeah. Methodism as a whole was existing where there was a, a leadership structure where the, it was just the pastors who were a part of what was called Wesley's 100. And so yes. when John Wesley died, that was the organization, organizing structure. Then That was planned too. Yeah, that okay. was planned too. It wasn't his optimal plan. He did well, that after Fletch, John Fletcher died. <laughs> Yes, that's right. That's right. And that, that, that's a helpful point to, to note. And so the Methodist New Connection actually came around to counter what they saw as an abuse of Wesley's vision. And they actually included a role for the lay people to be involved. Now, what's so interesting is that while the Booths adopted the Methodist New Connections system, um, when they moved in 1878, to this new system, the new system that was the military system, we might have lost some of the things that were already correctives within the abuses. So that's another subject for another day. Um, okay, Steve, there were already some responses that we saw um, of people who came came and described. There was a, almost a press release from another or, another group that is like you know organizing itself socially to be able to respond. Um, in a in a firming way, and I I would say like I'm I'm just going to say this a non biblical non orthodox way, and certainly with the eyes of compassion. Um, but there's that doesn't mean that the side that you and I represent is not compassionate. Um, but even even those who go along and uh, coming up with statements that were clear, like so one person even said, we want you to know that you belong in the Salvation Army, and more importantly, in the kingdom of God, we will continue to fight for you and for the welcoming inclusion of affirmation and equity of all people in God's whosoever army, you are exactly as you were created to be. Mm -hmm. Right? This is, a date, yeah. Yeah. this is an interesting statement that came from, uh, I mean, it doesn't even matter where it came from. These are things that some people are saying, right? Yeah. We want, there's many of those sentences we would agree with. We want you to know that you're welcome, that there's a, a place for you. But yes. nevertheless, like we still have to say, call sin what it is so i'll let you yeah. respond to that one now i have another one too uh, yeah let, let me let me just say this as well is that the, the the use of the term the image of god is used a lot here yeah and, and i think that the part of this and i think this is a discipleship for us as salvationists and 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 as wesleyans as well by the way let me just say this that one of the things that i was pleasantly surprised with as well is that when commissioner Tor uh, uh, ted horwood and his uh, yeah. i forget his wife's name um presented uh, they had a full day talking about identity and they yeah. were talking about international critical pieces and one of those pieces that was identified is an emphasis that we are wesleyan in our theology yeah. right that salvation of souls is the key behind what we do etc etc now 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 again we are compassionate there 
right? And yeah. we, we, we are, I mean, again, a Wesleyan theology is one of holy love, Amen. right? As yeah. Ken Collins is, I mean, Ken Collins is the best guy to read on, you know, on getting, getting that uh, theology. But, but coming back to this, the idea of the image of God, if you read Wesley's sermon on the image of God, he says, yes, we are all created in the image of God. And so we, we have to recognize every person is made in the image of God. But the narrative always stops at Genesis 1. It doesn't go to Genesis 2, which says that because of sin, that image has been marred. And actually in Wesley's sermon on the original sin, he says, Satan has put his imprint on us. And he says, because of that, our understanding has been distorted, our wills have been distorted, and our liberty has been distorted, right? And, and as a result of that, we have a natural propensity for being deceived, right? And what we think is happiness is actually misery. And so the, the entire process of salvation, which is about the full, full salvation, is the full restoration of the image of God, right? Right, right, right. You know, and I think Wesley's key on this is that if you have a weak uh, harmadiology, a, a weak theology of sin, that you don't acknowledge the fact that there's something wrong with how the image has been taken captive because of sin, because of our enemy, because of the flesh, th what are we being saved from, right? right and right, unfortunately, right. the narrative that is coming out is sort of saying um, everybody's made in the image of God, so... Let people be as they are. There's no need for transformation. There's no right. need for, for naming sin. And, and, and to me, that's a, a, that messes the entire point. There is no need for a savior then. There's no right. need for a salvation army then. Right, right. right? Yeah. And, yeah. I, and, and I think this false that narrative leaves people sin. trapped. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I thought yeah. you were no. done. I'm sorry, Steve. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. I could go on for that. I'm going to stop because oh, I mean, I I want you to promote sword, uh, sword and shield here in a second. Um, but the idea yeah. that sin in itself indicates that, like the real that there is an answer to the problem. Like if yes. sin, and, and this is a kind of a classical understanding, probably at least articulated since the time of, of Augustine, that sin is a privation or evil is a privation of the good, and that mm -hmm. sin in itself is a twisting of that which is right. It's like. It's a, a corrodive entity that exists upon what is right. And so the fact that something is wrong, that there is a, a, that sin exists in the world, and that it is a distorted privation of the good indicates yeah. that there is a good, that there is yes. a good that can be achieved. And that means the absence of that sin. Now, it, it's like that, of course, in what we think of sin. Is a yeah. in this in Wesley's uh, a plain account of Christian perfection it says a willful transgression to a known law of God. He kind of attaches himself to a classical understanding of what sin is, and then at the same time, I, 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 Tim Tennant has a great definition, which I just read to my kid. If you don't know that, he has a little catechism um, of I don't know like thirty questions uh, that I do with my kids every night at a dinner table, and he yeah. has his one on sin was so good. Uh, is any area of our, any area of our lives where we reject the presence of God? Any yeah. Area of our life where we reject the presence of God. So if that's the case, like if we can identify sin 
as what it is. That comes with the hope that we can have the presence of God, that we don't have to willfully sin against him. So anyways, just keeping that, keeping that in mind as we head out. It's great to see people coming on here. Again, this is kind of a special edition of the Mortis Story podcast. My friend Steve Bussey, those of you checking this out, we're just responding to some of the things that have come through in our denomination. And I see my friend Jim Fogel, James Fogel on here, others like from other denominations who are working through some of these issues as well. So just want to like highlight like maybe one way that that's particularized in one particular group. Um, and that, Steve, one of the things that comes up is that we're in a we're in this interesting position where um, the statement often comes like from those who responded. And let's say there was another response I saw um, from somebody um, who's written a book on a subject and thought this was uh, that there's often a way of thinking. Well, faithful Christians disagree on yeah. these subjects. Now that's yeah. the interesting. That's interesting point. And that that said, and I, I hear that said in the United Methodist Church a lot. Let's just there are Christians on both sides who disagree. Let's just work through this. And so this is the question. And, and Wesley Biblical Seminary is soon going to be taking a very clear step in this regard. Rather not God's gift of sexuality is Christian dogma or a mere opinion. And this is this is the point. Like it, rather not this rises to the level of Christian dogma. Now, when I say dogma, like some people like hear the word dogmatic in a negative way. Generally, yeah, like we teach theology, we hear it in a, I, I would, in my own classes, I say there's dogma, doctrines, and beliefs. Dogma yes. often associated with things like God creating the world of nothing, God is the same Trinity, the dual nature of Christ. Uh, doctrines might be something that's connected to maybe something that people might disagree on, um, Maybe words we use to define the authority of scripture, maybe uh, uh, predestination, something like that, eternal security, then beliefs. Maybe we'll go to another level, just like maybe women in ministry, something like this. So there's an increasing level of area to disagree on. But if something rises to a level of dogma, that's where we start to say that like, this is not an area for Christians to disagree on. So, Steve, do you think that we're getting to a place where like, we need to articulate that as a Christian dogma? See, I, I would say that, again, going back to the orders and regulations, I think we actually have a dogma already articulated, right? There you go. Again, a denomination, right, is, is formed, again, because there's a point of view, right? That, that, that there is a theological lens which, which, uh, which shapes the, you know, to, to go back to your, your, your um, mentor, Billy Abrahams, there is, yeah. there's a canon. Right, right of, of convictions that we believe is connected to um, to to a to a lineage. Uh, you know, William Booth used the term that we're on the track. We're on right. the same yeah. track as as the as Scripture, as as the apostles, as the early church fathers. You know, as Luther, Wesley, Whitfield, he used those terms, oh, right? Yeah. And, and, and so, if there's a track that we're on, it also means that you can be off the tracks. That's right. Right. Yeah. Or you could be on another set of tracks and look at people, you know, can wrestle through issues and sort of say, what set of tracks do I believe is the proper interpretation of scripture? If you don't agree with the tracks, which the Salvation Army is on, choose another track, right? But this track has been designed with a very clear logic to it, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and I believe that logic applies um, globally. There, there are some things that have been, in terms of dogma, they transcend space and time. There are things right. that we believe are consistent historically and geographically. And, 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 and so that consistent dogma, 
right, is, right. is key to defining a, a group of people that right. come together and share a set of values, beliefs, and practices. Right. And I think and, you just answered, I see Amy had a question there, how you identify uh, what, did, what, what is faithful Christians and what, what is a faithful salvationist? What's it, somebody faithfully in this tradition? It's like, it's not just like you and me. And of course, you and I have zero authority within the Salvation Army structure. Uh, nevertheless, like we're in this situation where we, we're not making these rules ourselves. And so we're identifying with this greater, longer tradition. And there's somebody on here too, who's just commenting and saying, look, I, 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 it's hard for me to read it based upon how it shows up on my screen. But yeah. saying, I'm in the East End of London and I, I don't know any officers who support this. And this brings up an interesting question. Is like, just because there's diversity within uh, our theological expression does not mean there's not a substance to what it is. There's not an ontological foundation to who we are yes. as a movement. So you can, you can like exist in your place in a, in a particular location and say, that's not my Salvation Army. That's not what I do. Well, your Salvation Army moves against, if, if that's what you say, like, and I, I'm not saying this person is saying that, if that's what you're saying, that there's this group that exists and uh, that, so, so since that exists, we must like somehow come to the middle and we all just kind of find our truth together based upon our conversation. And we just agree that faithful Christians are disagreeing. We're moving against that essential identity. Does the Salvation Army have an essence theologically? And what you and I are saying, Steve, is yes, it does. And that yeah. movement outside of movement against uh, uh, creation, revelation in this regard, steps outside yeah. of um, that that understanding of orthodoxy. All right, I'll let you get in there. Sorry. There's a, there's a great book. Uh, I can't remember the name of the guy. I've just gone blank, but it's called Finding the Right Hills to Die on, the case for theological triage. Mm -hmm. And what it is is that there's, when it comes to doctrine, there are some things which you would call sort of tier one doctrines, which right. if you do believe these things and you're a Christian, right? Yeah. You know, if you don't believe them, you, know, you can choose not to believe them, but you don't fit within the boundaries of what defines a Christian. Tier two things, I think, are the dogma of a denomination. And it's like, you can choose to believe or not believe these things, but if you don't, well, then technically you're not a salvationist by definition, right? right, right. A salvationist historically and globally today, right? There are, though, then tier three things, right? So as the Salvation Army contextualizes into different territories and down to different divisions and down to core, that we, we do believe that there is, I mean, we, we talk about the principle of adaptation of measures, right? right? right. Uh, of, of finding ways to communicate the gospel in such a way to make sense. Greatest example in history would be Gunpei Yamamuro, who wrote A Common People's Gospel, who looked at Japanese culture and said, how do I translate this gospel to make sense to Japanese culture? I mean, look at the work of Tim Tennant as a great example of, of looking at global voices, right? But those are sort of tier three things. We're yeah. finding a way to communicate tier one and tier two things in a way that contextually makes sense. But to sort of say, you know, you can have this set of tier one and this group can have this set of tier one and tier two things and that they just sort of exist, that, that's not a culture is formed by a unity of convictions of beliefs, values and practices, not a, what I call a theological choose your own adventure, yes. right? You, yeah. you, you, you choose what you want to do and you just believe it because what that basically says is your beliefs, your values, your, your behaviors don't really matter, right? right? And if they don't really matter, then whether or not you believe in the mission of the Salvation Army doesn't really matter either. Right. right? You just create your own adventure, like you said. Create just, your just own army. Exactly. Uh, exactly. And, and, and inevitably, we, if, if we do that, then we cease to be an international and historic movement. And this is why it's so important for us to encourage people 
who are in the oftentimes they're in a position where they can't say things publicly, I would imagine. And so we, we need to encourage them and, and say, it's so great encouraging to me as a Salvationist, as a, maybe it's in your own denomination, as a Nazarene, as somebody in the Free Methodist Church, to see your general superintendent or whoever it is, to encourage and say, thank you for saying these things. And thank you for upholding this identity of our particular movement. So I encourage you to do that. Like this, this is a key moment. And I'll say, yes. I tip my hand a little bit there, Steve, that we're going to have at Wesley Biblical Seminary, I think it's going to be the first of its kind, is that we're hosting a conference on whether or not human sexuality rises to a level of dogma. And I, we have um, Robert Gagnon coming, philosophers, early Christian uh, we, um, scholars of, you know, early patristic scholars. I have an Eastern Orthodox person. I have uh, Christopher West is going to come representing the uh, Catholic view. So like all, we're bringing together a conference to then take that hopefully and turn it into a book to maybe be the first to talk about rather or not human sexuality rises to a level of dogma. And this is, I think, I, I mean, you and I, are, and I'll give you my little quick summary of why I think this is so important. One, uh, the proto- Andy, can I just say oh. one more thing before we give the summary? Oh yeah. I, 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 I think this is the last, uh, uh, just, just a thought before we go to summaries is, is I, I think it needs to be very clear that when we talk about the Salvation Army Doctrine, I mean, we talked about the, the different sides of things, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I don't see it that way, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what I see it as is there is, when, when you hold to a, 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 you know, when you hold to what the Salvation Army has held to for 150 years, right? Yeah. Which people across the world have held on to, that has been the unifying factor. That's not this extreme over here, and you have yes. this person that's over here, and they're saying, well, let's come to the middle point. Right. It's like, no. No, I'm not, yes. you know, if, if, if what, all that I am saying in this debate is let's be true to who we have been for 150 plus years. Right. Period. Right. Yeah. We can this still wrestle it. with what that looks like, but we're not talking about just a, two opposite sides like a, a political conversation. We're talking about being true to who we are. That's, that's not a, a let, let's have a person in the middle negotiate this out. This, that's like, no, this is, this is at the very root of what, I, what shapes our identity. That's where I think the narrative is, isn't, you know, this either or, you know, positional yeah. thing. That's not what's going on here. And it's not radical to say, I hold to that position. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, you, you get called, you get called all, all, all sorts of names for just identifying with what has always been believed by the church for 2,000 years and the Salvation Army for its entire existence. Now, just because one person might uh, swerve away from what that is and define their own identity, you know, outside of what has already been written. Again, I, I love how you bring up Billy Abraham in this because that's where he's so helpful. And I wouldn't necessarily recommend this book to everybody because it's just uh, probably too much, but his book, Canon and Criteria, I think- And probably what, too expensive. <laughs> <laughs> don't recommend academic books, because like, in part because of people go broke. Um, but the- Canon Criteria. Canon Criteria, so important because what it does is identifies what is the essence of what we have believed through the years. And, and you and I have talked about this before. And I think what our project is, is trying to identify what is that canon. And there is a Salvation Army mm -hmm. canon that we can work from. I was yeah. going to summarize the whole conversation, Steve. I was just going to say that the, the part of the, a couple of reasons why this rises to the level of dogma to me. And I might change my view on this after this conference in February. Um, is one, the proto-evangelicon with 
uh, Genesis 315, the words that are given about the nature of women's seed, the seed of Eve, and what will come from that seed, you know, crushing the head of Satan. So that kind of the first messianic prophecy. I think there's something incredibly important about the gender distinction that between that that the eternal son of God was born as a man to a woman. That that distinction is an essence to the gospel. There's that side. Also, Jesus' clear words in Matthew 19, the teachings of the church, the understanding of revelation, how God has revealed himself in space and time. And then also um, just our understanding of sin and our understanding of creation. All of these things are tied up that I think make this rise to the level of dogma. So again, we want to encourage, this is the More to Story podcast on a special Monday lunch edition. Um, I'm going to be I'm gonna be posting this if I can figure out how to make it work on Facebook. I'm going to download this video and put it on YouTube and then put it on as audio podcast, kind of an additional podcast. Steve, this week I I have coming out, I thought it was last week, but I forgot my schedule. uh, Jeff Greenway, who's a leader in the Global Methodist Church, and Bishop uh, uh, Mike Lowry coming on to talk about what's going on in the United Methodist Church again, but also how they're encouraging people to step up and make clear decisions um, in this kind. And this is, they have a kind of a three-month window to get things going as they're moving. So I encourage people to listen, because again, if we do not act, if, if, we, if the Salvation Army, let me say this, if the Salvation Army leadership does not facilitate this core theology, which has been at the center of who we are for our entire existence, if they don't act upon this, we are headed to where the United Methodist Church is. Yeah. And we do yeah. not want to be there. Other thoughts, yeah. Steve? I, I, yeah, I would, I would add to that as well, that I, I think an advantage which the Methodists have, which maybe we need to look at more, is that, again, while the Methodists might have the, I think their polity system makes them very vulnerable, right, yep. to, which, which is where, where there's the splits and things like that, which are taking place with the Global Methodist Church, etc. But I think as well that the, 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 the standard sermons, some of the doctrinal elements, right. they're very robust, Right. And I, and I think that as salvation, so I think we need to deepen an understanding and, and, and really develop a canon of standards, yes, you know, yes. that, that are guiding us. I think that there is a, I, I, again, I, and I think that, that uh, you know, the work of Albert Outler and Thomas Oden and Ken Collins and others like this have been able to elevate the depth of theological thinking of a person like John Wesley, who in many ways was sort of isolated and sort of iced out as, as real theology. Right. I think Catherine William Booth, I think we need to look at in, in a much more robust way and create a canon that that is I, I think that a lot of these things are happening because Let me correct you. we don't Let me correct you. We, we don't create yeah. a canon. We identify what the canon we is. We identify, yeah, not create a canon. Exactly. We identify what it is. I would agree. Yeah, right, 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 I knew right, you would. Right, I knew right. you would. That's why I interrupted you. <laughs> I'm glad you corrected that uh, exactly. Because it's already there. Yeah. And, and in many ways, if you look even like at our at our at our doctrines and things like that, they're not shallow. Just because it's been synthesized into a small book doesn't mean that it's shallow theology. In fact, like you know, one or two statements of this can be unpacked in two hundred pages by a Richard Watson or so, and it's consistent with that, right? And and along with that, it's through a robust analysis of scripture as well. I think that we almost need to keep our handbook of doctrine, but I think that we need to expand it and identify right as you say those spaces in which these ideas are being sort of fleshed out by both you know the booths and other early salvations but also our brothers and sisters from the broader orthodox wesleyan community because we have to understand you know how genius this theology is and, and along with that if we can understand it as a full arc 
you begin to see why some of these arguments are are very weak, yes. right? Compared to something that is just so robust and makes so much sense. And along with that is incredibly sensitive to to where people are at as well. And, and it allows for a deeper, more compassionate response, I think, than what we're seeing out there even this day. I, I think as well that, let me just say this as well with, when it comes to human sexuality, is that it's not just addressing issues of homosexuality, it's addressing heterosexual Amen. sin as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's it, All of us have to be addressed in this right. issue, and all of us need to come under the authority of Scripture. So it's not isolating out an individual group of people. It's saying, we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, we're all justly you know, exposed to the wrath of God, and therefore we all need a Savior. Amen. Yes. Oh, thanks, Steve. Well, thanks, everybody, for checking this out. Uh, I just want to I see my friend Carl on there uh, um, from uh, the Denver area. And I know that there are several people in the Intermountain Division who are using my contender course. And I just was at a Methodist church yesterday that is using my contender course as they're walking through the disaffiliation process. Look, I have to have a little advertisement in here. OK, so check it out. <laughs> you can go to my website, andymillerthird.com. And you go, you can find there is this study of the book of Jude, which is incredibly relevant to exactly what we're talking about. And as we identify what this theology is, what this kind of center is, um, the, the kind of the rule, the divine rule of Christian faith and practice as we work through that, um, this would be a good thing to maybe walk through with, uh, with folks. And it's just um, what, what you do is you get five usernames. If you buy one, uh, one license, and then what that does is you can use it in your small group. People can ask questions. So check that out. I'm sorry, I had to throw in a little commercial. If, if, if I could advertise well, I mean, I would encourage oh, yes. people as well to go to, I, I, I'm going to advertise for you as well to go back. Uh, watch watch Andy's discussion with uh, Roger Olson, right? That, that's a brilliant conversation with, uh, I forget his name, the guy from Good News. Rob Renfro. Rob Renfro, man, brilliant conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, the one which you had last week, very, very good. You know I mean? Like, there's some great stuff there, which I want to encourage people to. And Along Sword and with Shield. That, Tell us about Sword and I Shield. I was going to say, yes. yes. Um, so we've started a group called Sword and Shield Up. It's, it's about sharpening our swords and strengthening our shields. The idea of sharpening our swords ties to what is a biblical worldview. Strengthening our shields is looking what what is an Orthodox Wesleyan salvationist view. We're taking Ken Collins and Jason Vickers' uh, book on the uh, 60 standard sermon here we'll go yeah, you know yeah. wesley's 60 standard sermons and we're reading the classics of john yeah. wesley one sermon at a time but reading it in parallel with Catherine william booth and others and then really doing a robust view of, of the scriptural basis of those and working through those to build the arc of a salvationist ordo salutis um we're already in our sort of second phase uh, we're on sermon seven actually we meet on monday nights right now uh for an hour but everyone does the reading they come together they discuss it um so if people are interested message me on Facebook uh, and say, hey, I'd really be interested in joining in Sword, Sword and Shield, and we'll send you an invite. It's great. And I, I haven't been able to join in live, but I see the stuff you're producing. It's outstanding. So I, I even see my friend Buddy Smith, who's come on here with the American Family uh, Association. And there, um, we're going to have a conversation with some of his folks here soon, too. So anyways, God bless you all. Thanks for checking this out. If you could share a link to this, that would mean a lot to us as we try to kind of get this message out. And make sure to let your leaders know when you see something good, uh, that they're communicating that's consistent with this kind of basic canon of what our denominational understanding has been, our denominational theological identity. All right, God bless you. Thanks, Steve, for coming along. Love you, man. Thanks. Thanks.